0: Episode 11 here, and we have a special guest for you here in the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast. My name is Chad Schachsner, and I'm thrilled to bring in one of the brightest young minds in the Bloodstock Arena who's based in Lexington but certainly has a vested interest in Louisiana racing. Welcome to the show, Andrew Carey from Carey Bloodstock. Andrew, thanks for taking time to be with,
1: be with us on the uh, podcast. Pleasure to be here, Chad. Thank you for having me.
0: How's the weather up there in Kentucky? doesn't seem like uh, winter's been too rough on you guys up there, huh? It's actually... Um,
1: it was pretty uh pretty rough in, in January and early Feb, but the last couple weeks have been nice. So beautiful weather this week and um yeah, it's been nice to get out on the farm, see some of the new foals, um starting to get some green grass. So yeah. Hopefully hopefully spring is just around the corner.
0: No doubt. We um we're
1: gonna get into your background a little bit later on in your path
0: to where okay. you are now, but um what We've tried to do in this podcast since it began is uh, not just handicap the big days here at the track, but also wanted to reach across all aspects of the industry from a Louisiana perspective. And um, we've had jockey agents on, Tony Martin, Ronald Ardwin, who's also was a great rider down here in his own right, and some jockeys and even owners like Evelyn Benoit, Britlin Sable, who I'm sure you know, and she's involved in a breeding game down here with Star Guitar. And but we haven't had yes, anyone absolutely. Who been, we haven't had anyone down here who makes a living doing what you do on the bloodstock end and um i know there are different parts of doing what you do as a bloodstock agent but can you break break down some of the what a bloodstock agent does because there are multiple parts to it and and some specialty areas to it right yeah
1: absolutely so um it's kind of a, a multifaceted role you know um some agents specialize more in one area than another but um basically you know the the main role of bloodstock agents is to help owners achieve their goals you know in the sport and um a, a good bloodstock agent can be a tremendous asset you know to help kind of you know steer your way through you know what could be a very confusing business at first getting into there's a lot of moving parts and um you know our our role is to kind of provide some perspective and bring some knowledge to the table from our experience and what we've seen work and, you know, how to navigate the market, uh, understanding racing, understanding pedigrees, confirmation, uh, doing the groundwork at sales if you're buying at auction, um, private sales, matings, appraisals, all sorts of things with uh, raising horses, you know, working with farm managers, vets, farriers. So there's a lot of various things that, um that agents do you know in an advisory role uh that can really help owners out um you know rather than trying to learn the ropes by themselves
0: so kind of talk about you were on the selling end of this for a number of years um your background and tell me how you got into it was
1: there schooling involved and how did you come up through the ranks so i um i grew up actually uh in africa the first uh, nine years of my life so um Got the love of the horse there, the love of animals there. Um, we left uh, Zimbabwe in 1989 and um, moved to California. I tried to, I um, always loved racing. Tried to follow it as best I could, um, you know, as I was growing up as a teenager. And then um, after college, I went to the University of Colorado. But I always kept up with racing and tried to learn more of the bu- business aspect of what happens. And once I realized, you know, you can make a, you can make a living for yourself buying and selling horses and being in the business. So I just packed up my stuff and moved to Kentucky in uh, 2002 and uh, just made a go of it. Uh, I started at thoroughbred times, um, um, uh, worked with a, a great bunch of guys there. Um, uh, several have gone on to be, um, very influential people in the industry like Tom law, Ed DeRosa, uh, Jeff Lowe, um, list goes on and on. So, uh, John Sparkman, um, so learned a lot from those guys. Uh I, I did uh writing in, in Bloodstock, um, worked on the Stallion Register, uh pedigree research. So it was a great way to uh to get involved uh, kind of at the ground level um and just learning my stuff, you know, learning pedigrees and getting to see a lot of horses, getting to follow racing closely. Uh so it was a great um you know first step in racing. Um and then uh from there I went to Tailor made uh for three years. Uh was Mark Taylor's assistant, so largest tail uh largest uh, sales agency in the world. Uh so got to see a lot of horses, a lot of yearlings, a lot of great horses. Uh was blessed to be around and be exposed to that at a young age. Um, horses like a shadow, unbridled song, um, lots of million dollar yearlings. And yeah, it was it was a very special time and, and got to learn a ton from the Taylor brothers and um the other people who worked there. So um again, you know, very very thankful to, for those opportunities I got um, you know, to learn learn the groundwork. Um from there went to Hillendale Farm for three years. I was John Sekiro, um, Donato Lani. Uh, again, you know, brilliant guys, learned a ton from them. I uh, was just basically a sponge trying to, you know, learn as much as I, I can from from them and um was around Better Than Honor, you know, World Record broodmare uh, vindication when he retired to the farm. Candy Ride was just getting going, so it's really cool to look back at and see, you know, these horses that you were around and and the influence they have on the on the breed. And uh, very thankful for uh, for that.
0: Very um, interesting. So, you Zimbabwe <laughs> you're
1: Zimbabwe bred. You I am. I am You don't run across many folks from uh.
0: From Not Zimbabwe. many. A lot
1: of us. No, a lot of us actually. You know, we ended up dispersing to you know South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. There's a few of us in England. Um, actually, fairly prominent um, in the horse business in, in Australia as well. So you you come across the occasional zimbred. Um, and Ipi Tombi, <laughs> the great mare, was was a zimbred. Um, so that, she's she's one of my favorite horses for sure. <laughs> That's pretty cool. So it, it,
0: comes yeah. to be,
1: it
0: comes to be January of um, 2020, and uh, you've had this great relationship. We're going to get into uh, kind of the Louisiana bred side of it with Koto Groves and Keith and uh, Ginger Myers. But, um, you know, those guys for a while, take us through that relationship um, heading up to 2020 when you finally say, okay, uh, I'm going to go out on my own and, and see if we can do this thing.
1: Yeah. So, um, so after I left Hill um um we, uh, I was part of select sales. I was a, a partner. We started in 2009 Um and, we were one of the leading sales agencies, uh, from 2010 to 2020. Um, so it was really cool starting a, a sales agency from scratch and getting to compete with the big guys. And we sold horses like Tepin, the one at Royal Ascot and Breeders' Cup and Mind Your Biscuits, grade one winner, um, search results, dream tree, gift box. So again, it's been, it's been really awesome to, to be associated and, and, you know, be a part of those, those horses lives and just to, to, to those memories and, um uh, as far as Coda Grove and the Myers go, so I actually met um one of your old friends, Jake Delome, at the sales, I think in two thousand seven, when I was at Hillendale and uh he bought a mare and um I just gave him my card, said if you need anything, you know, let me know. Didn't didn't want to bug him and he actually reached <laughs> out to me several several months later and we just hit it off and started talking and I, and I would start coming down to visit and uh we've become close friends over the last 15 years, but, um, so he knew the Myers well and, and he called me in, in 2014 and said, you know, they've, they've been, um, heavily involved in racing, racing Louisiana brands had a lot of success, but they wanted to transition more to, to breeding and selling. So, um, he thought we would be a good fit. And I spoke with Mr. Myers. I think our first chat was two or three hours and, um, we had a lot of, you know, the same, just kind of energy and, and passion for the for the business but also how to how to make it work and um, we hit it off and um, started changing you know a few things just as far as how many horses they had in training and trying to focus more on mares and uh, having horses that you could sell um, in Kentucky or possibly Saratoga so I've been gradually upgrading the um, you know the just, uh ever since and um, the second mare I bought for them in 2014 ended up becoming the dam of no parole, uh, plus one for 67,000. So we got off to a good start and, um, it's been rolling ever since.
0: Yeah. Jake, um, one of those guys who, um, being an ex football player and stuff, but besides talking about his kid, definitely the best, the thing he wants to talk about the most is the horses,
1: right? (laughs) Oh, there's no doubt. There's, there's no doubt. It's, He's he's always excited to talk about it. He'll he'll call me on his way back from the track, you know, and talk about horses that breezed and you know exciting two year olds and yeah, it's it's definitely you know passionate. It's helped him keep that that adrenaline level up since he retired. Yeah, you know right. uh, he's he's there every day with his family and they just love it. It's it's awesome to see.
0: He's a junk, he's a junkie when it comes to it, like most of us are that
1: that are around this is. <laughs> he yeah. yeah. He, is, um, he he knows every every horse on the backside Louisiana that's for sure. Oh,
0: he really does. It's, it's amazing. He's got a horse of the backside <laughs> without no it. it. Um, yeah. So twenty twenty January comes in twenty twenty, and you you say it's time to time to do this thing, and the pandemic hits. Right, I imagine that was sort of a bleep bleep kind of moment. How did you navigate your way through that? Yeah, um, going now on your own it had to be a little a little crazy.
1: It was. Yeah, it was. Um, it was definitely nerve wracking, but um fortunate to have, you know, a group of clients, uh, especially Coto Grove, that, that supported me and um, said their loyalty was to me and, you know, would, would help, help me get through it. And, um, you know, have been fortunate to have some, you know, some good results um, um, since then, as far as, you know, buying and selling horses and um, uh, horses that I've bought going on and doing well, either at the sales or on the racetrack. So, yeah, it was it was definitely a you know a, a nervous time, but um, sometimes you know the best time to start a business is when things are are rough because when you come out the other side of it um, you know things are better. But yeah, it was <laughs> definitely a lot of uh, gray hairs that appeared that year for sure. <laughs> so you get with Coto Grove and those guys, and in 2018 um,
0: you know looking at it, they bought they bought eight brood broodmares, spent six hundred thousand. 2019 they. They spent almost $1 million nine hundred forty thousand 940000 on seven. 2020 comes, and, um, it, it, man, it just looked like game on, right? You, give, you go through the sales. You get 13 mares at Keeneland, two more at fasig tipton and um, you had three purchases, I think, that topped over $500,000 as far as broodmare goes. And talk a little bit about those three mares because I know, you know one of them's is Miss Hot Legs and one of them is mm-hmm. um, Contributing and another one's is Prado Sweet Ride who's actually you guys bought uh, carrying a full by justify and all of those are going to be producing Louisiana breads here in the future.
1: Yes, exactly. Yeah. We, um, we stepped up, you know, with 2020, there was a lot of uncertainty with the pandemic and election year. Um, The, also the breed back rule changed in Louisiana, which allows mayors to go out of state every year um, to be bred to Kentucky sires. So that was also an impetus to, to kind of step up the the, um, the caliber of mare that we were buying. So Miss um, Hot Legs is a uh, stakes-placed half-sister to Swiss skydiver. Um We bought her as a broodmare prospect, um, and she's actually in full of curling uh, due pretty soon uh, with her first foal. Uh, she's booked back to Medallia d'Oro, so really excited about her. Um, you know, a lot of these young mares we bought the last couple of years, we're hoping will be – foundation type mares for the farm for the next you know 10 or 15 years but she's she's definitely that kind with her looks and her pedigree and she was she was a talented horse in herself she, um, in her own right she was stakes place at santa anita and um very good looking so obviously extremely excited about her future uh and then contributing as a, a stakes winning daughter of Medallia doro uh, that brad cox trained um ran in ran in Louisiana several times, um, won the Panzeretta, I believe. Uh mm-hmm. and comes from a huge pe- huge pedigree. Um uh Burton Jones Ericry family. Uh her, one of her sisters uh produced Believe You Can, Kentucky Oaks winner. Um mm-hmm. so it's a it's a tremendous pedigree and um she has the looks to match. So very uh very excited about her too. She's um she, her first foal is Spitestown Yearling um, that we'll be selling this year. Uh, nice colt, um, very attractive. Looks a lot like her, and she's back in foal to Justify. Do uh, do uh, this month. So, lots uh, lots of exciting things going on. What about Prado Sweet Ride? Tell us about her. So her Justify Yearling's outstanding. Uh, we'll sell him later this year. Really excited to see the the Justifies um, you know first crop on the track this year. They've been very well received both both here in europe and in australia so it's nice to see that the top judges are are liking his stock all around the world um and they they should be versatile you know both dirt and turf and just really excited to see you know what he can do uh, with the kind of talent he had and his pedigree and looks and the, the kind of mares he's gotten so uh, very excited about that Colt, and then uh, unfortunately we lost her last year, um, kind of to a freak injury and a panic accident. So that was, you know, that's that's part of the um, it's part of the business. A lot of lot of ups and downs and roller coasters, but um, you, you just enjoy the good days. You know, it's mm-hmm. uh, just like anything in racing. You know, you're gonna have your share of disappointments, but the the good times definitely make it worthwhile.
0: Now, obviously, um, you know, you guys are, are, are breeding at Koto and you're taking them all to the sales to do, do uh, the Keith and Ginger. Are they going to keep any of these babies for racing purposes or are they strictly, you know, in the market to, to sell what, what comes through the farm?
1: Yeah, the plan is to, is to sell everything. Um, most will go as yearlings. Uh, maybe the the occasional one is weanlings. Um, you know, some is two year olds, but the, the main goal is to sell everything as yearlings um, like a commercial crop. And, you know, I think they've, they've had um, tremendous success racing in Louisiana and, and achieved their goals there. And um, I think they, they enjoy the breeding side of things and selling and uh, that's going to be the primary focus uh, moving forward.
0: Well, there was a, there was a year, and I'm not sure if it was 2019 and 2020, but the ones you brought to Keeneland, you went eight for eight in a ring and they sold um, every one of them. So all the hips were over, I think the number 1400, that had to be quite amazing a few days to go eight for eight in a ring like that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. September last year, uh, we had a, we had a good run. Um, you know, n- nice group of horses. Um, had several bring over a hundred thousand and, um, you know, the market was good, especially that that middle part of the September sale is always very kept competitive and strong. And we're, um, we're going to try, you know, as our the quality of pedigree steps up, you know, we'll have more book one and two types, but, um, still that that book three and four, you know, in the uh, end of the first week into the second week is, is still a tremendous place to buy and sell horses. That's really the meat of the sale. And um, that's where most of those horses were, but uh, there's still, you know, there's a lot of demand at that part of the sale for good horses. So it was, it was definitely a good, a good couple of days. Definitely.
0: No doubt. Talking with Andrew Carey from yeah. Carey Bloodstock. We will go ahead and take a break. We'll come back on the other yeah. side. We could talk more about Coto Grove Farms and some Louisiana bred, racing here and also the no parole who had a big who we played a big role with um back in uh and now no Parole's back in louisiana so let's take a break we'll come back right after this
2: history and horse racing means something and the folks at louisiana craft butchers can certainly tell you about horse racing in new orleans Another historic element in New Orleans is the food culture, and at Louisiana Craft Butchers, they specialize in delivering the perfect meats for all your needs, whether it is a tailgate extravaganza, watching football at home with friends, or holiday feasts. Louisiana Craft Butchers offers it all, from boudin, hogshead cheese, and tamales, to selling over 20 different sausages, including the New Orleans' favorite Palmasano homemade Italian sausage, which is a family recipe of Angelo Palmasano Sr. and his wife, dating back to the 1940s. Don't take my word for it. Check it out for yourself. Louisiana Craft Butchers out in Kenner. Check them out at lacraftbutchers.com or give them a call 504-466-9788. That's 504-466-9788 or online at lacraftbutchers.com. Everyone likes to win money. If you bet on sports, you need to check out the newest and hottest website. That is www.meatandpotatoesusa.com. Meat and Potatoes has sports consultants who have documented success. This is not a gambling site. It is a site for you to get information to help you win money. NBA basketball, college basketball two big sports. You can get their picks in both by going to www.meatandpotatoesusa.com. Sports betting is exploding across the USA and here in Louisiana, and you need to check it out right now. Check out MeatAndPotatoesUSA.com.
0: Back here in the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast, Chad Schachmutter, along with Andrew Carey from Carey Bloodstock. I appreciate you joining us here. Let's get back into it with Coto Grove Farms and Sunset, because this place, um, look at it online. You can actually, you know, go Google Coto Grove Farms, and 400 acres. They started in 2008 with only 8 broodmares and now those guys are up well I mean they got to be getting close to 50, right?
1: Yeah, I think as of this morning it's 63. So um Woo. yeah, definitely stepped up and um you know the the Myers have made a tremendous commitment to Louisiana breeding and racing and um really excited about what we have in the pipeline um so the full crop this year is outstanding and They've gone from breeding around 12 to 15 foals a year to um, this year the yearling crop is 30 and uh, anticipate having around 50 foals this year. So um, wow. really ramped it up the last couple of years and can't wait to see them all on the track uh, here in the next few years.
0: So what are your thoughts on the Louisiana bread program here compared to um, what you see in other states? Is it, is it the same? Is it different? I know it's getting better. You got some, you got some nice farms here. I mean, Adcock, Lee, Clear Creek, certainly one close to New Orleans here that, that a lot of people are familiar with that's been around a while, but kind of what are your thoughts on the Louisiana bread program here and kind of what you see with it?
1: Yeah. And there's, there's no doubt. There's, there's a lot of, a lot of strong operations that have, Proven time and again that they can raise uh, a top racehorse that can compete anywhere, um, you know. And I think as um, you know, better and better broodmares are coming into the state. Better stallions will come as well. And um, you know, I think uh, the the outlook is very positive. As you know, as long as purses keep going up, that, that kind of drives everything uh, around the country. And where purses are good and uh, demand for state breads is, is strong, you know that that helps everyone. That helps breeders all the way down, um, down the ladder. So I think as long as, as racing is strong, um, purses are good. Um, you know, that'll, that'll be a huge benefit to breeders and encourage more people to breed, uh, in Louisiana. So, but you, you look around there, there are some nice stallions some young horses that are up and coming, um, like iron fist, a son of Tappet, L deal, a son of munnings, uh, obviously star guitar, uh, continues to do very well. Um, you know, so I, I think the potential is there for for even more. And then we brought No Parole down after you retired, um, you know, to stand at Whispering Oaks. So we're obviously very excited about his future as well.
0: You brokered the deal for No Parole, but you also, besides, you know, buying broodmares is part of part of what you do, you also, you know, bro- you brokered these deals for the sires. And one of them was Aurelius Maximus, who's down here now, has been retired and standing at Jay Adcock's uh, farm over in Cushada. Um, you know, you talk about the the, the young sires in that line. What, what's uh, what do you think about those guys? Aurelius Maximus, and then yeah, we'll get into no parole in a little bit because I want to talk about him.
1: Yeah, yeah, Aurelius Maximus. So um, I know John Moynihan very well um, for the last fifteen twenty years, and he approached me, said they were they were looking for a, a good regional program to help uh, get him started. They really believed in the horse, and he had a, a world of talent. Um, unfortunately he had some injuries, but they thought he, he was a, a grade one winning type horse who should have been standing in Kentucky. And they wanted to give him a, a good chance to stand at stud and, and somewhere where he'd get supported. And um, I had previously um, probably a decade ago, helped, uh bind, uh, go to red river farm. And, and he did quite well, you know, starting off with small books and, and carved out a nice little um, role for himself. And, and Aurelius Maximus, you know, I thought they would do a tremendous job, and they have. I think he bred the most mares in the state last year. And Ed um, uh, Cock and, and Nathan Granger have really gotten behind the horse and, and their clients and um, really excited about his foals and, and his future. Um, you know, with his pedigree and looks and the ability he had, um, there's no telling, you know, what kind of stallion he could be. So let's uh, go um talk about no parole
0: for a minute so louisiana has had eight grade one winners um and no parole being the latest one and if you go back it, it, it seems like it's very sporadic but um maggie moss obviously on no parole actually before no parole i don't know if you know this but the, the one before no parole, big, the world. One grade one. big world yeah mm-hmm. also owned by maggie yeah, moss uh-huh.
1: so, yeah yeah uh, and both uh-huh. trained by Tom yeah. famous incidentally too mm-hmm um yeah we well, she, she buys that, but... she buys nice horses that's for sure and 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 tom does a great job um you know and they're, they're not afraid to, to take a horse out of state you know if they've shown they're they're that kind of horse so yeah very very special horse for me you know bought his mother um and um i always thought violence was a, was a tremendously talented horse and, and he's you know he's proving to continually sire good horses and um no parole from from the start was a was a cool horse. He was. He was one of those horses that liked to sleep and was easy going on himself. He was. Um, he just acted like like a racehorse, but he he acted like a horse who was you know wise beyond his years as as a youngster. He was uh, always a cool dude. So it was great to see him go on and and see what you know what he did um, on the racetrack. Especially his first half dozen starts were just spectacular. So
0: yeah, you know, yeah, look, really, look at his record. Really he's Looking at his record, he definitely drove betters crazy. I mean, he was an all-or-nothing type of horse, 13 starts, six wins. Mm-hmm. You don't see this very often, no seconds, no thirds. Um, right, yeah. He yeah. burst on the scene here at Fairgrounds. I mean, he won his first two versus Louisiana Breds. I mean, he could have ran backwards how fast he was um, yeah. winning here. And then he he takes those two wins at Delta. And he went to the Lions at Oakland, and the only great at stakes race he wins, it's a big one, the grade one at Belmont. That had to be a great day for you guys. I would imagine Luis Saez was aboard, but he beat Echo Town, Mischievous Alex, a couple of really nice horses, going seven furlongs at Belmont. And I remember that race vividly. It was uh, he just he put him away and just kept going.
1: Yeah, no, that was an incredibly special day. You know, first Grade One winner um, for the farm, and um, you know, to do with a home you know home brand mare that I bought was was very special. Um, yeah, a horse that you've seen grow up their whole lives it's just it's a surreal feeling to see them you know on the big stage like that you know unfortunately we couldn't go with the pandemic and everything with travel being so restricted and all that but it was um still incredibly special to see him do that you know on that kind of that kind of stage and um yeah it's really exciting to have him you know back now standing in louisiana and that that caliber a horse you know um Retiring there is, I think, very, very exciting.
0: I imagine you guys are going to um, support him pretty well. Do you have some mayors that are going to be booked to him this year?
1: Yeah, so we've got, uh, I think, six on his book right now, um, six Kono Grove mares, um, and we might add another one or two, you know, depending on how this season goes. But um, he's uh, he's definitely going to get plenty of uh, support from us, and. Um, uh, just looking at some of the mayors some several of them are stakes winners uh one was uh harley's dreams who who the uh, the myers hanley race year earned over three hundred thousand uh There's another mayor called cut class Trip who was a uh, beautiful mayor by Trippy. She had an end of mischief that sold for two sixty as a weanling several years ago um got a tapping mayor called mum uh whose sister produced halliday grade one winner. Um, so he's, he's getting some, some nice mares that are, that have pedigree, that are good looking, um, several stakes mares, several stakes producers, you know, so we're definitely going to give him a good shot to, you know, to prove his worth.
0: When you're, when you're at the sale and you're looking at these brood mares and you're kind of seeing what you want to see and whether you guys are going to go in for them or not, do you perform kind of like a pedigree analysis beforehand, before this stuff happens? And what kind of goes into that for you? Yeah, it's,
1: um, you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, when that catalog first comes out, you know, what um, sort of what price range uh, you're going to be shopping in. that kind of helps trim some things. And, you know, you can rule out, you know, a lot of the, the really, really high dollar horses if you're you're not shopping in the 750 plus range. But so you initially start there and then you start honing in exactly what you're looking for. You know, so the last couple of years we've been targeting mostly young mares just getting started um with with nice pedigrees uh looks are are absolutely of paramount importance um you know I firmly believe that um you're better off starting off with a great looking mare you know and maybe giving up a little on pedigree uh because so much of what we do is is driven by confirmation you know both in the sales ring and the racetrack uh so you know buying the best looking mare you can with with the most pedigree you can is is kind of the basic formula and and targeting certain cover sires that um you know, can give you a shot at recouping your investment uh, as quickly as possible. So those those are kind of the three main things um, to help narrow down the list. And then you you make a list and kind of put a number range where you think they might land and and see what happens.
0: So up to this point, I know um, you've had a bunch of accomplishments and you talked about no parole. I imagine that's pretty high up there. But um, what, what is kind of the one you're most proud of? And I kind of off of that, what is the pinnacle for a guy like you—is it—is it a Breeders' Cup winner? Is it is it a Derby winner that you want to buy one or breed one? What's kind of like that—that that goal for uh, for um, for Andrew Carey?
1: Yes, uh, <laughs> that's a great question. I mean, definitely, you know, I, I think every winner is is exciting. It's so hard to win races of any kind. I um, mean, definitely, you know, breeding those those Grade One type horses is just incredible, and once you get a taste of that you know, you can't wait to get back there. But, um, I think, um, you know, kind of treating each mayor individually and, and trying to make each one of them as successful as possible, uh, is a great challenge for me just day in and day out, you know, trying to, trying to maximize their potential and, and, you know, picking what down to breed them to and, and managing their, their careers. Um, it is very rewarding when, when it works out. Uh, but yeah, i the, the ultimate goal is definitely to try raise, you know, breed and raise those types of horses that can compete on Saturdays and grade ones. And the Myers, you know, would love to breed a horse that can run in the Derby or the Oaks. Um, so that's, you know, that, that does drive, that drives you every day to try and find that next great horse. There's no doubt.
0: Taking this from an industry perspective, I want to get your thoughts on something here. Um, what, are, what are a couple of things that are concerning to you about the future of horse racing, because off the top of my head, I would think
1: mm-hmm. um,
0: in your world, a decreasing full crop kind of every year has to be near the top of the list for the blood stock industry. Is that something you chart or is that, is there something else that's maybe a little concerning um, from where you come from that you'd like to see, or maybe you can help out with to try to turn the tide on?
1: Yes, that's a very good question. Um, I think what we've seen with the, with the smaller crops is, is definitely you know more demand for quality, Um, you know, because um, it's expensive to have horses in training and horses on farms. They don't charge you less if you don't have a good horse, you know. So it's definitely, you know, the the competition is there, you know, to have more quality and and the demand for quality has never been stronger. Uh, So I think we've probably seen, you know, um, things tighten up as far as, you know, the quality of mares bringing bread, less, less stallions, less mares, Uh, probably less mom and pop types, breed to race types. Uh, I know for sure the last 30, 40 years, we've, you know, there's a lot less people that breed to race uh, than we used to have. Um, But um, having a smaller full crop doesn't concern me hugely, um, you know, if the demand is there. And uh, I, I think as long as, I think purses being strong drives everything and we need to do everything we can as an industry to, to keep growing purses, uh, I would like to see more done to um, focus on the customers. Uh, you know, the betters for sure. You know, I, I would love to see just a, a lot more uh, unity. You know, and, and everyone working together. You know, uh, um, so, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have to take care of betters and, and make sure it's um, that's a that's a high high priority. Um, betters and, and getting new owners into the game because that that really does drive everything else we do. You know, if we've we've got a lot of people betting and new betters and, and more handle and higher purses, you know, everything else kind of flows from there. So, um, you know, that's, I think, I think listening to the betters, doing more to, to help the betters, um, being cognizant of, of their complaints. Uh, I, I do admire a lot of the work being done. Um, the, uh, the thoroughbred idea foundation, Pat Cummings, there's a lot of guys, a lot of very smart guys out there that are talking to legislators and racing commissions and, I think there is a lot of progress being made on on these important issues, you know, with wagering and um uh, aftercare, you know, very important things that um you know we've made progress on, but there's still plenty to be done. So uh those would be my main, you know, long long term concerns is, is is um you know taking care of taking care of the betters, getting new owners involved and uh and of course aftercare.
0: Yeah, no doubt about it. I mean, I think you come at it from a good perspective with the betters because, you know, a lot of times that that's the person's first inclination into racing is, is betting on a horse. I mean, you are not real, really come right. out the blue and, and, and own a horse or, or train a horse. I mean, you, you bet on a horse right. first and kind of kind of get you in the game. Right. And I think a lot of owners know that and see that. But um, I may mm-hmm. be setting you up for this one a little bit here, but racing fans, I think, um, as a whole – they want to see more classic winners race into their four-year-old seasons. You know, the last two Triple Crown mm-hmm. winners we had never made a start as a four-year-old. I mean, American Pharoah did win the, the Breeders' Cup Classic, but, you know, mm-hmm. Justified was six for six, never raced after the Belmont. Um, Medina Spirit mm-hmm. never raced as a four-year-old. But I, I get it. The owners and breeders in those cases, they, and a lot of times they sell the breeding rights or share some of it in some kind of handshake mm-hmm. agreement while the horse is still racing. Um, I know there's risk to running, but what are your thoughts on, you know, these household name horses kind of retiring to the breeding shed so abruptly. Um, I know as a fan myself, I'd like to see them keep racing, but I certainly understand the other side of it. Um, where do you come out on that? Sure. No, I, I
1: agree. I, I think it's, it's definitely as a fan, um, you know, you'd love to see these horses come back and, and compete as as four-year-olds and five-year-olds. And really the, the racehorse, you know, the, the mature racehorse is, you know, only going to get better, stronger, and faster. It's it's great to see, a, you know, a mature horse as a four-year-old or five-year-old. Even, you know, you, uh, I think Mexico you know, was five last year. You see, you know, what a big, powerful, mature five-year-old could do. Um, you know, so I, as a fan, I would love to see them tra- stay in training. I thought it was great that life is good, uh, stay in training. You know, so there's a horse who could have been whisked away, uh extremely valuable horse by End of Mischief um you know won the breeders cup you know he could have very easily have been retired but they have bigger goals for him as a as a four-year-old and he's well on his way to that so that's you know that's encouraging uh, i think there's you know there's always a balancing act between you know the the investment business side of things and and the um you know the sportsman racing side of things so but i think you'll see more horses staying in training if they're doing well and and the owners and trainers feel that the horse can achieve more, um, as a four year old or five year old. But, you know, you also have to look at the farm. Sometimes they have a an opening on their roster at a certain stud fee and, you know, it's, they have to make the economics work as well. So, um, you know, the one thing too, is there's nothing like timing. And you, if you leave a horse in training and they go off form, you know, they also run the risk of, you know, their popularity being diminished. Um, when they go to stud people's memories are very short and they'll um they might remember you for your last couple of races not going so well instead of you know what you did well early so you know it's definitely it's a trade-off um you know and you just you know as a, as a business manager you know you have to manage that risk you know the best you can but uh i mean it goes all the way back to you know secretariat you know he retired as a three-year-old and uh you know so it's it's definitely you know when you get horses that valuable um it's it's not an easy decision
0: so we're going to see you here for the uh, Louisiana Derby coming up here before the end of the meet
1: I hope so um it's uh, it's kind of getting to be a busy time of year with breeding season up here 2 year old sales in, in Florida uh et cetera. but I hope to uh I hope to come down um you know, hopefully I have a client horse running that weekend, but uh, definitely a great weekend of racing and always love coming to the Big Easy. I uh, love coming to Champions Day in December. And, uh, I'll come down, you know, several times during the year to, to check on the, the babies and yearlings at Coto Grove. And um, So, yeah, definitely, definitely love coming down and enjoying the great food.
0: So final thoughts here. We're about two months away from the Kentucky Derby and not to put you on the spot here, but do you have a couple
1: of horses you are following or have any special interest in for the first Saturday in May? So um, I'm hoping giant game can, can uh, rebound tomorrow. We, uh, we have his half sister, uh, Koto Grove, So um, hopefully he can bounce back, uh, you know, big weekend, of racing ahead. You know, I still think, Long, long way to go, um, you know, with what's, uh, what's on tap here, but, um, you know, I'm interested to see, um, found the Fountain of youth with some of the up and comers like Emmanuel and, um, you know, seeing rattle and roll come back. Um, so, and then, um, you've got the West coast horses. I, I thought the, you know, some of those horses out of the risen star are going to definitely make their name heard moving forward. Um, I thought the top, top three, four horses in there, um, Will all be very dangerous moving forward. So, uh, and then there's some then some horses like Charge It that have a ton of talent and pedigree and um, you know lightly raced, but uh, lightly raced hasn't hasn't been a big deterrent in recent years. So, yeah, a lot a lot can change the next uh, four or five weeks for sure. No doubt about it. Well,
0: Andrew, look, this mm-hmm. was great. I really appreciate it. Tell the listeners where they can find you on social media and your website and and what you have to offer.
1: Thank you. Yeah. So I'm, um, so I have my own bloodstock agency. I do, uh, I do a bit of everything, uh, mating advice, buying mares, buying yearlings. Um, I'm, my Twitter is at Carrie Bloodstock, C-A-R-Y. Um, website is carriebloodstock.com. Um, so, you know, I, um, I've, uh, I've been in this, you know, almost half my life, but I'm still a young guy and still, you know, Excited about you know the possibility of finding a great horse. You know that, that drives me you know and everything I do you know as far as breeding and buying and um, yeah. So anything I can do to help people you know get into racing and enjoy it and see all the all the great parts that it has and you know how how special being around you know these horses is. It really can take you on uh, on a tremendous journey. So thanks again for having me on. I really appreciate it. No doubt about it. I think um, you know
0: it's very important for. You know, not just the betters and horse players, but to, just to be able to see a farm, even if it's, you know, like, like, you know, over here in New Orleans, we're close to Folsom. You can see Clear Creek and some others. But if you go out to the Lafayette area, they got some beautiful farms up there. And Coto Grows, I'm telling you, if you have a chance, um, if you're a horse player, and, and, and I mean, just to see a farm like that, uh, even if when you get to Kentucky, apparently, you know, they're all over that place. But I think it's important to, um, just to check that out, man,
1: it, it gives you a whole new grasp of,
0: of the game and, and, and where these horses come from, and you really get to appreciate it.
1: Yeah, it really does. I I appreciate you saying that. And, you know, these horses are, you know, they're very special for the breeders and the, the farm managers, everyone who works on the farm. You know, from, it's amazing what one horse, how many people's lives they touch from the time they're conceived all the way to the racetrack and beyond. Um you know it, it they um they involve a lot of people they touch a lot of people and they they pass through a lot of hands and it, it's an incredible process and um you know it's 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 great when you know that that whole that whole um that whole journey is recognized and um you know there there's so many good people in in this business that that work their butts off every day um you know to try and try and find that next next great horse no doubt. Andrew, um, again,
0: thanks, man. I appreciate it. Um, let's catch up if you get down here.
1: Absolutely. Thanks so
0: much. Thanks again for having me on. You got it. That'll do it for another edition of the Fairgrounds Racing Podcast. Be sure to check us out on Twitter at Chuck Nola and uh, share this episode with any of your friends on any and all platforms where you get your podcasts. Until next time, everyone, good luck at the races.